1: Thank you all for joining us for the Friday edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Um Monday is uh, what they call cro- crossover day at the uh, legislature. I think most of you uh, follow the news pretty closely, political news. So you know that crossover day is presumably the day at, uh, on which if a bill hasn't passed one body, there, it cannot move forward in the other body and and, and pass the entire legislature in a given session. Of course, we know that there are ways around that, (laughs) that somehow bills miraculous appear at the last minute as amendments to other measures. So uh, it's not definitive. But uh, it is important to talk about because this week, there has been a lot of effort to get bills uh, through one body so that they can go on to the other. What I think has been particularly interesting about the last couple days downtown is that I think the news stories have been more about what hasn't been passing, uh, perhaps, than what is passing. And we'll talk about all that and more with our panel today, starting with the managing editor of the Atlantic Journal-Constitution, our Constitution, our good friend, uh, Leroy Chapman. How are you, Leroy?
2: I am doing fine today, Bill. How are you? Thank you for having me. And um, everyone stay safe out here in this weather. Yeah,
1: it's pretty dreary uh, out our way today. Well, we're glad you're uh, with us, uh, Leroy. Representative Mary Margaret Oliver uh, is here, a Democrat whose uh, base is uh, Decatur. Uh, Mary Margaret, um, at some point today, we should talk about the fact that for a second session in a row, you and a coalition, a bipartisan coalition of legislators, have passed additional measures to improve mental health services for Georgians. Congratulations on the fact that bill seems to be heading for the governor's signature. Yes.
0: Good morning. I'm very hopeful, and we had a very detailed discussion on the House floor with passage. Only three no votes yesterday. I'm happy to talk about it. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Eric Tanneblatt is uh, back with us. Of course, he's a Republican insider. Among many other things, he was uh, Governor Sonny Perdue's chief of staff for Perdue's First term, but Eric has worked with uh, major Republican presidential candidates going back to George H.W., George W. Bush, Mitt Romney, uh, and, uh, uh, and others uh, throughout his, his career. But Eric, today it's particularly uh, good to have you on the show because we asked you to join us be- before we knew that yesterday the Senate was going to take a vote on Buckhead Cityhood. And you are right now the current president of uh, the Buckhead. What's the formal name of the organization? I'm the chairman of the Buckhead Coalition. Coalition. Thank you. So I'm yes. really am looking forward to hearing your thoughts about what happened in the Senate yesterday. And we're joined by King Williams, a documentary filmmaker in Atlanta, And, uh, King, we're glad that you're on the show. You did a show a week or so ago when I was uh, off, and I'm really glad to get a chance to talk to you today. Thanks for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me. Tell us what the name of the major documentary that has gotten a lot of attention that you produced uh, is.
3: Uh, One of which would be The Atlanta Way, which was a documentary on gentrification, and that will be an updated version later on this year. The other one was on PBS three years ago called East Lake Meadows, A Public Housing Story.
1: Um, obviously an area of particular concern for you. But King, thank you for joining us today. All right, let's get right to it. Um, So, Leroy, uh, the Buckhead Cityhood movement uh, got shot down pretty significantly, pretty substantially yesterday. It came to a vote on the floor. We know that Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, who had campaigned in favor of creating an independent uh, Buckhead Uh, was working behind the scenes to see if he could put together enough votes to get it through the legislature, the Senate. Um, At the same time, uh, Governor Kemp's office made it clear they opposed this measure, and uh, Kemp's forces clearly won the day. Uh, Every Democrat voted against the independence of Buckhead or giving the people of Buckhead a chance to vote on independence, and so did 10 Republicans. Leroy?
2: Yeah, I think this vote affirms that um, the Georgia Republican Party is increasingly Brian Kemp's party. So if you look at uh, where election results uh, might have affirmed that, uh, I think this is another one, because if you look at the folks who were the most vocal about this, uh, it, it continues to be uh, some of the more you know, Trumpier wings of the party. Uh, and of course, as uh, has been stated many times before, uh, the lawmakers who were really pushing this were not Atlanta lawmakers at all. But I think too, the Kemp uh, memo was pretty pretty potent. Uh, it did uh, make a, a case that legally this would be disastrous, that it would be something that would tie up Georgia and the city in, in litigation for a long, long time. And many of those uh, answers, when you look at the fine print of how do you divide property and how do you educate kids, how do you deliver services, We began looking at some of the fine print. Uh, I think the reporting on that uh, highlighted there were many, many questions that uh, did not have adequate answer. So uh, this, again, uh, if you go back to uh, looking at uh, the way the wind is blowing on Republican power in this uh, state, uh, I think it uh, shows uh, with this that it is increasingly with Brian Kemp.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about that in a couple of minutes, as a matter of fact. But, Eric, um, the other thing we should talk about here is that uh, there were two bills, as you well know. Um, They passed out of committee. And so uh, there were those who thought, that's as far as Buckhead City has ever gotten before, passing out of a committee. But in the long run, the chair of that committee voted against the bill. Um, But certainly once they came out of committee... The Buckhead Association and others really mobilized to do the best that you could to knock this thing down, right?
4: <clears throat> well, yeah, there's been an effort underway for the last year and a half to two years. The Committee for United Atlanta, Neighbors for United Atlanta, uh, they've been very active in trying to educate uh, lawmakers as to the complexities. Um, I, I think, you, you know, it, it reached a crescendo, fortunately uh the governor weighed in in the end and that obviously uh helped but as you said i mean this was a very uh there were a lot of issues with this and i don't know that people were really paying attention to the specific uh issues that this would create uh and you know i i applaud uh the buckhead legislative delegation our senators who represent Buckhead. uh you know senators estevez mclaren and and halpern uh, I think they did a very good job explaining to their colleagues the ramifications of the bill and also pointing out to their colleagues that, do you want this to happen in your communities? We've never had a, a de-annexation uh, of a major city. I also you know, need to acknowledge the the mayor because I think the mayor over the last year, year and a half has done a very good job building relationships, but even more so than that, uh, demonstrating to the people in Buckhead that he understands the challenges, he hears their concerns, and he and his administration are focused on addressing them. And as the Buckhead coalition, I mean, our our mission is to improve the quality of life in Buckhead for businesses, residents, uh, and visitors. And you know, we look to partnering with our state lawmakers. We look to partnering with uh, the mayor. Uh, and, and quite honestly, you know, now our job is to try and bring the community together. I get why there was a concern in the community. There were issues, crime did increase, although it's now decreased, uh, there've been questions about city services and, and, but, but I think it's now, now the city has to deliver, uh, but I think it's now time for us to step back and see how we can bring everyone together and move forward. Mary Margaret.
0: I'm a member of the Atlanta delegation, and I also want to applaud the mayor and Betsy Holland, who's the house uh, chair of the Atlanta delegation. It's been good work, responsible work uh, by the legislators representing Buckhead. The whole Buckhead movement to me, I don't want to be overly harsh, but it looks to me like just message and money. The idea that responsible business people in Buckhead who have gotten an enormous amount of benefits from development authorities and investments, um, would support a bill that is so irresponsible in terms of the financial chaos it would create based on schools and uh, other kind of special taxing districts. It was just an irresponsible piece of legislation. And the fact that people have been given money to Bill White, who refused to come to meet with the Atlanta delegation at any point, Um, is just confusing to me. Smart business people are usually, should be, and I think of them as being financially responsible and supporting a buckhead city, city buckhead, whatever the name is on the statute, uh, was financially irresponsible and chaotic politically. So I'm glad the governor weighed in. He gave cover to a number of different Republicans to vote no. And I hope we won't hear any more about it this session, at least.
1: Um, King, I, I want to talk about what I think is an even larger issue here, and that's this sense that the people of Buckhead, or well, let me say it a different way, the supporters of an independent Buckhead somehow believed that their desire for public safety uh, deserved to be uh, elevated above the needs of people in other communities across Atlanta where crime is also um, uh, a, a real uh, problem. And and I got I, I did get some pushback the other day from listeners when I said on the show that it's hard to escape the fact that a certain kind of white privilege is involved in this notion that Buckhead uh, deserves protection um, when, in fact, we've got a holistic problem with crime metro wide.
3: I, I think that's a very bold thing to say. Um, but I do agree with your sentiment, and I think the thing we have to always bring up is overall, year over year, crime has been down every single year in Atlanta since 2020 compared to 2019. And to that extent, um, I do agree with the sentiment of a lot of Buckhead citizens who feel unsafe, and I think a lot of it has to do with our, our local media. The thing that I am very proud of normally has had a feedback loop of fear, and that feedback loop of fear has fed into the, the idea that Buckhead needs to be protected more than Bankhead or more than any other place in Atlanta because Buckhead— this enclave of wealth needs to be protected from those people. So I kind of agree with that. And I do think that for a lot of people who saw the Buckhead City movement for what it was, they could see a lot of those dog whistle politics attached to it.
1: Yeah, Eric, I want to be careful about it. So, I mean, I do think that there's this sense that instead of a holistic approach to crime, uh, the Buckhead wanted to have its own needs uh, met, met here. I get that. I
4: do understand that but it strikes me it overlooks the larger problem well and I think that the people of Buckhead prior to the improvements we've seen in the last two years where I will say that zone two which is Buckhead the crime has gone down uh, 14 percent year over year but there was a period where crime was spiking up and they the people of Buckhead that you know were not used to that they didn't like that but You know, the way that, you know, I I see us addressing that issue is, you know, we created a bucket security plan and we're working with the Atlanta Police Foundation and we're adding more security cameras. And, you know, there's there's a a bunch of other efforts that are underway, uh, but you don't have to do something draconian like de-annexing and creating your 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 own city. Leroy, I want to play one soundbite from the
1: debate. Josh McLaurin. Uh, who I think summed up the opposition to this in a pretty succinct way. Natalie Mendenhall found this sound. Natalie, let's listen to it.
4: I think the real debate today and the debate that we are trying to be humble and transparent and factual about with our colleagues today is how much of a disaster this would actually be from a governance standpoint, from a legal standpoint, if this thing actually goes. It is the kind of thing that is so egregious that it does invoke that role as Republicans, small r, members of a republic who have to make the the tough decision to not always go with every bit of popular pressure.
1: Leroy, uh, weigh in on that, but then let's also pick up on something you said uh, a, a few minutes ago. This really does show that Brian Kemp's substantial victory over Stacey Abrams and his overwhelming victory before that over David Perdue have put him in a position where his power
2: is really being felt in the legislature this session. Yes. And, um, you know, when you think, too, about how disastrous potentially it could be, I think there's some perspective here. Uh, You know, this movement would have been trying to do something that no major city in the United States has done. And, 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 you know, this is something that uh, if you think about where Atlanta sits uh, compared to other major cities, uh, you know, the jurisdiction of the city of Atlanta is comparatively smaller than lots of other big cities. So if you're comparing us to, you know, Houston or Dallas or Boston or places like that, you know, the city itself, city proper jurisdictionally, is actually geographically small and And lacked a lot of uh, you know, influence over the wider metro area. so if you if you really talked about undercutting that by taking out Buckhead, it would have severely crippled the city in ways that I think that um even before Brian Kemp pointed to some of the legal um, um, you know uh, possibilities here, uh, that, that it is something that just from a standpoint of of the standing as Atlanta as an America big American city, it undercut that now the other part too about um you know Governor Kemp uh I think that the after those victories and certainly even before that the other victory that's important here is you know the victory by mayor Dickens and the relationship that was created there where he would he understood uh the optics he understood uh reaching out he understood that there needed to be a relationship there and in turn um you know Governor Kemp uh has not uh, been playing to uh the 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 white hot politics of what uh, we see now in the Republican Party especially intra-republic intra-republican party politics uh that's driven by the extremes by trumpism by some of those things and certainly if you look at the campaign uh led by you know Bill White uh it had a lot of those elements to it and um yet again this is something that could be talked of as a repudiation of that uh with uh Governor Kim
1: Uh, Mary Margaret, to put a period on this part of our conversation, is Buckhead Cityhood really dead, or are there ways in which people are going to keep trying? Maybe maybe it is for this session, but there's no sign that the folks who really want independence are going to give up this fight, is there?
0: We say frequently down here at the Capitol that it's never over. If people are going to continue to give money to Bill White, then it's not going to be over. This morning in Government Affairs Committee, we're passing, we're looking at a bill, I would vote against it this morning, uh, on de-annexation procedures. So, you remember the controversy around Stockbridge and that the voters turned that down. De-annexation is an issue that's going to continue in the Capitol, whether or not Bill White continues to take money away from rich people in Buckhead.
4: Eric? Yeah, I just want to make one last point. You know, one one uh, member who I thought, you know, played a, a, a key role the last several days and gave a, a, a really good speech on the Senate floor was Senator Albers from North Fulton, where he sort of went through the whole history uh, and he obviously opposed Buckhead City. But one thing that he did say, which I think is really important to your question, you just asked uh, um, Mary Margaret is, you know, the, the city is going to have to play a key role in determining whether this goes away or not and you know it, we can't just say okay it got voted down in the senate and now we're just all going to just ignore that that what we just experienced and i think you know working with the community i think the the city is going to play a key role in whether this goes away or not and and they're going to have to pay attention to the concerns put bill white aside There were people behind Bill White and I talk to them all the time in in my role in the coalition and and living in Buckhead, there are people that have genuine concerns about things that have been happening in Buckhead. And so time will tell uh, whether this will go away by how people respond. And I will tell you from the Buckhead Coalition's perspective, we're going to be front and center and we're going to work towards bringing everyone together, working with the city because we need to. It's important and we need to keep the city together. Atlanta needs Buckhead and Buckhead needs Atlanta.
1: All right. Eric Tanblatt, again, chairman of the Buckhead Coalition right now. We appreciate your uh, being with us to talk about uh, this today. Excuse me. Mary Margaret, let me start uh, the next subject, if you don't mind, uh, with you. We've often said on this show that it is sort of somewhat typical, and you can certainly take issue with, with this if you want to, for the Senate to be uh, the birthplace of more conservative legislation. Um, over the years, the Senate has put forth some of the culture uh, issues, uh, uh, the issues that play to the Republican base, and that the House has ended up trying to modify, knock down whatever, um, in large part in in, in past, uh, thanks to David Ralston. So that said, I think it's interesting that this week, It was the Senate which uh, refused to move forward with what we call the Georgia version of the Don't Say Gay Bill, the bill which would limit how teachers can talk about gender, identity, um, and sexual orientation uh, to students. Um, It's the sort of measure that quite often we would expect the Senate to embrace and pass on to you to handle.
0: In recent years, the Senate has definitely been the more, the body more interested in culture wars. Even though they said in the beginning of this session they weren't going to go there, that's exactly where they've gone. That's not been always true. When Pierre Howard was Lieutenant Governor of the Senate, and I was there in a different era, we the Senate was more the reform-oriented crowd. Uh, I think the Senate is in a little bit of disarray right now. I don't think that the. Uh, revolution, the resolution of the Trumpian uh, ideals are resolved in any way. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene coming to the Senate and saying the things she said was embarrassing to me as a former senator. Uh, They are not exactly sure where they're going. I'm not sure exactly where they're going. On the House side, uh, John Burns said before the session that he didn't think Buckhead City Buckhead City, Bucket whatever they call themselves, was a viable uh, for this session. Uh, he has. The House has been uh, obviously more uh, professional, I would say, that in our leadership transition than the Senate has been. Uh, I don't know where the Senate's going to end up this session, but they don't. They seem to be sending out a lot of mixed messages. The transgender bill is still floating around on the Senate. I'm, I'm very worried about that in terms of coming to crossover day. And uh, the Senate is just an unknown body at this point. Who's in charge?
1: Um, K- King, I want to uh, pursue what Mary Margaret just talked about, which is that there is a bill uh, that still remains alive in the Senate that would ban most sex reassignment surgeries, hormone replacement therapies for those under 18. Um, It would allow doctors to uh, go ahead and prescribe medicines to block puberty, which a number of other Republican states do not do. Uh, But but it is part of a larger national Republican trend to, to again, appeal to the base by attacking uh, 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 trans individuals and all the issues around being trans right now. Uh, King?
3: Yeah, uh, um, to that point, I think we need to look a little bit into the (laughs) the history for this because history doesn't repeat itself but it does rhyme and I think especially now as we're, we're having fond memories of Jimmy Carter I think we need to really reconsider what the 1970s and early 1980s cultures wars and a lot of the legislation and lawmakers who came up of that time because now we're seeing that happen again um, both transgender the don't say gay bills the the attacks on women's rights and reproduction are all a part of this larger conservative culture war when you don't necessarily have the political power that you want you stir up the base and keep the attention on your laws and your lawmakers as a way to bring in reforms to a polite society. And in every case, the, um, the the party that brings that in, in that case, was the Republican Party. In that case, also, like evangelicals won office. And then once they did with that, they came in and then really changed the direction of the country. So I do think across the board, while I do agree uh, with, with Mary Margaret Oliver, I do think we need to keep our eye on the ball on this one because it's less about what's ahead of us. Uh, with these particular bills and more about what the future holds for policy in Georgia.
1: Leroy, one of the things that's ironic about the uh, uh, Don't Say Gay uh, bill, for want of a more specific uh, uh, description of the legislation, is that you had an odd coalition that came together to oppose it. The Georgia Southern Baptist, Mike Griffin, who's the lobbyist for that organization, he ended up opposing the bill because he thought it was going to—because this bill would have applied to private as well as public schools, to camps and the like. And, uh, and Griffin decided, realized that there could be these unintended consequences um, which could impact how uh, religious camps and religious schools are able to act independent of certain state uh, statutes that could be passed down the line. It also had Jeff Graham— uh, the executive director of Georgia Equality, the largest and most powerful LGBTQ lobbying group in the state, working together on this. It's nice to see harmony in a time of such divisiveness, Leroy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with uh, if you think about the, um, the attempts to uh, either limit speech or to regulate what um, our children can uh, access in schools, uh, you know, these are blanket, uh, you know, politically driven uh, efforts and the details are really never considered because it's certainly about winning the, the political argument and it's winning social media. It's uh, doing something to deliver promises to the base of one party. And when you begin applying those to schools, then you understand the difficulties of it. So you you look at this, you look at uh, the idea of critical race theory, what that even means, and you start applying that to well, can I teach this or that? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm a teacher, can I? If I conduct myself this way, will I be subject to 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 penalty? Uh, if I'm a principal, will my school be punished? So all those things that uh, I think appeal to uh, the the passions of the Republican base in many places, including Georgia. Uh, It's always a matter of, okay, if we adopt these rules, these regulations, then, you know, what are the real day-to-day consequences in schools? And often, uh, by the time you get there, you understand that it's really not as simple. And also, the problem, really, that's trying to be remedied is not as severe as the politics would would indicate.
0: What problem? What problem are we trying to remedy? (laughs) I keep asking myself. I cannot talk about these transgender issues without pointing out That I don't think there's anything meaner that I've seen in politics than pointing your finger at somebody else's child, usually a girl, and saying she looks funny and she runs too fast. The idea that uh, somebody would judge another parent's child based on appearance and athleticism is just mean. The messaging that's coming out of a part of the, and I think it's a small part of the Republican base, is there's no there there, there's no problem there. There is an effort to simply stir up negative motions. And as long as they're going to stay there, it's hard to be respectful. It's hard to feel like they're making responsible arguments. It only looks like message, message, message.
1: Eric, I've got to get to a break, but before I do, I wonder how you feel about what Mary Margaret just said about it being a small part, perhaps, of the Republican base that is this interested in trans issues. You've been very outspoken in terms of your concerns about how far to the right uh, the Republican Party has moved. And I wonder if you think these efforts to attack trans individuals and the movement towards uh, uh, supporting trans people Uh, is in the long run going to hurt Republicans more than it helps.
4: Well, first, I'm glad that that Mary Margaret pointed out that it's a small group uh, of Republicans. And, you know, I go back to when I was working, when the RIFRA bill came up several years ago to defeat it when Governor Deal uh, was, was in office. And I remember, you know, getting a lot of people just giving me blank stares when I went to talk to them about, you know, how harmful this would be. But, you know, we've actually come a long way. You know, we, we tend to focus on bumper sticker slogans, you know, don't say gay and, and without and I'm glad Leroy, you know, talked about, you know, you got to get into the detail uh, of these things. But we have actually made progress too. I mean, it was just it wasn't it was like last year or the year before we passed the hate crimes bill, where for the first time, in the state's history, they they actually put sexual orientation in statute, and that was with Republican control of both chambers of the legislature and in the state house. So I, I, you know, a lot of times you have uh, people in the rank and file that uh, need issues to get attention, and they pick some of these social issues to get a spotlight put on them. But I do think, and again, uh, Mary Margaret made this point. She's absolutely right. You know, you're talking about someone's child. You're talking about a human being. And, you know, we, we need to all be sensitive to that. Doesn't matter what party you're in.
1: All right. Eric Tannenblatt gets the last word on this segment of Political Rewind. A lot more to talk about uh, still to come. So let's get our first break of the show out of the way, and we'll be back in a moment. Atlanta-based documentary filmmaker King Williams, AJC Managing Editor Leroy Chapman, Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, and Eric Tanblatt join us on today's Political Rewind. Um, I want to get on to a number of other issues, so I'll just mention briefly that one of the bills that was shot down again in the Senate yesterday was a bill... That not only would authorize sports betting, which is still in and of itself as an independent uh, possibility alive and well in the legislature, this would have combined sports betting and horse racing, um, and it failed. But, Mary Margaret, I'm right, am I not, that sports betting still might move forward, and a bill that might make it possible without a constitutional amendment, yes?
0: There's a debate going on and a fair amount of chaos, too, among the different factions of gambling. Once again, we're in a posture where do you need a constitutional amendment or not? Or couldn't you just simply statutorily tell the lottery committee to engage in sports betting? Actually, could you lottery uh, commit, commission do that without a statute? That's... Those are the questions that go every year. It seems to me that at the beginning of the session, there was a strong push that sports betting will get its vote this year. And I think we've got one day to know whether or not that's true, one day being Monday crossover. Uh, I have not been um, involved, lobbied, or spoken to about sports betting in several days, which makes me think all activity might be in the Senate at this point. Or it might be that the chaos is simply running among the lobbyists that there will be no progress this year. I polled, when I say polled, I don't think there's anything scientific about what I do. But my constituents said, came back 50-50 on sports betting. And my friend Ty Jones in Forsyth County did something that was probably more like a real poll. And his constituents in the richest county of Georgia said 50-50 on sports betting. So I think it may be true that our population is a little bit divided on the issue.
1: Leroy, I don't mean to uh, g- uh, give you a quiz on this, but do you recall offhand what the AJC's polling shows on uh, people's uh, sense of sports betting in Georgia?
2: Uh, it, it's divided. I mean, there, there's a, a slight uh, lead for in favor of it. And I think that if you track that, because we've asked that question in polling over a number of years, uh, at post the Supreme Court decision there seemed to be a little bit more favorability to it because other states had adopted it and I think that maybe have given it a bit of a boost. but you know I think the representative is right. I mean there's not overwhelming but but it, it is a slight you know, you know a slight majority of folks who who favor it. Uh, and the opposition um is um you know it's it's still there and it's been consistent.
1: All right, we're going to watch that on Monday. That's one of the big issues that I think a lot of people will be uh, looking at. Um, Mary Margaret, I want to come back to you. Uh, last session, uh, Speaker David Ralston turned to you uh, at one of the sponsors of a major uh, overhaul of how mental health services are delivered in the state. And you worked in a very bipartisan way to pass a bill that that really in the aftermath of speaker Ralston's untimely death it serves as his legacy um and now you have a new measure which appears to be on its way to passage as well what has been added this year why is it important
0: speaker Ralston's leadership for passage of the 1013 in 2022 was based on his very authentic message and discussion with legislators and the voters of Georgia that mental health services are at a crisis stage in Georgia. We were at the very bottom of per capita spending in mental health. We were subject to an extensive civil rights oversight. Justice Department about our management of mental health of developmentally disabled patients in the hospital. And the 80-plus page bill, the uh, parity bill, guaranteeing strengthening the federal statutes that had already been passed at the end of the Trump administration to make sure mental health services were paid on equal basis with physical health services was a very strong step forward. We also, in 1013, set out, in essence, a work plan and new funding to deal with the crisis bed shortages we have in Georgia, particularly for that population that we see outside our windows of the Capitol, the move from the street to the ER to the jail to the street to the ER of the jail. Uh, Justice Michael Boggs, uh, Chief Justice of the Georgia Supreme Court, can quote many statistics about individuals that have been arrested 200 times in a three year period with an enormous cost and no benefit. This year, 520, thanks to uh, Speaker John Burns. The work product that came out of 1013 is now set forth in 520. We know that passed the House yesterday, 167 to 3. Again, that very small percentage of the Republican base that thinks anything you talk about in mental health has to do with some conspiracy issues. In 520, we're recognizing that our biggest problem— in most social services, but particularly in mental health services, is workforce. We're expanding the loan forgiveness program. We are taking a real focus on the licensing board problems that delay people getting their license. We're reviving and strengthening an alternative disciplinary process so professionals can keep their license and be monitored for the public safety when they have issues of abuse some substance abuse themselves we are again looking at ways to manage with better management practices and better data uh, on a couple of different pilot projects but also universal data collection on what the national conversation is about familiar faces those individuals that go from street to er to the jail and back and forth and have very little to do, if nothing, with public safety, but have a lot to do with the visible failure of our mental health system. Mentally ill people on the street, in our business communities, in our capital neighborhood, are a reality that we must be more aggressive to address. Speaker Burns yesterday allowed uh, Chairman Todd Jones and I together to present the bill at the podium and together to answer questions, which is unusually procedurally it's my view that nothing really big happens in the Capitol, in our evenly divided state, unless it is bipartisan. And this bipartisan effort is very much in the weeds and very much focused on real issues. And hopefully with the both appropriation and new statutory mandates and requirements, we can move forward and make progress.
1: You know, King, it, it strikes me, and, and uh, Eric uh, and Leroy, if you want to weigh in on this, you can as well. This is what constituents look for, for actual progress on important issues uh, to happen in legislative bodies. It certainly isn't happening in Washington these days. And I think one of the reasons we point to this mental health uh, uh, effort that's gone on for a second session now is that it is an example of people being able to work across party lines to accomplish something meaningful for the people of the state.
3: Yeah, I really do think that the average Georgian will really be in support once they learn more about the bill that you uh, have presented, Ms. Oliver. And I do think the next phase is just getting the everyday Georgian to understand that not only this is a step, but it's a a process of having more things available. I think if we're going to take it forward, identifying new sites for mental health facilities, either state-run or in a public-private partnership, will be the next ideal setting. And then also what sites that we have that we could be using for turnaround services for those people who have mental health needs.
2: Leroy? Yes, I think this L- is, uh, L- you know, when when you begin thinking about um, what can this do and and how impactful can it be when you think about uh, public safety, when you think about health care. And uh, this bill does a pretty comprehensive job of trying to diagnose some of the issues that are most urgent, uh, measuring some of the deficiencies and saying, uh, here's where we are in the number of beds for, to treat people who are severely mentally ill. You know, how many more do we need? Uh, how are they being used? Is the access for Georgians or others who come here? Uh, so it's it's that fundamental uh, measuring the size of the problem, diagnosing the issues, and being able to uh, have real resources to put behind solutions. So when you think about this as being a, a watershed moment, and it's not just of course this year, it's been a multi-year effort, uh, you know, this is meaningful stuff that could move the the state forward, and I think that part of looking at what we saw with demand and the uptick in demand, uh, it's it's certainly uh, timely, but uh, but it's overdue because Georgia was severely severely behind in terms of being pretty comprehensive about mental health. So so this is progress, and so it is exactly I, I, what, uh, what 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 uh, taxpayers want.
1: I apologize for interrupting there, uh, Leroy. Eric, you and I go back a very long way, you know, 35 years or so, and you in politics, me covering politics. And we both remember a time when one of the reasons that we were so involved and cared so much about politics was because politicians actually accomplished meaningful work for their constituents. And it, it it's really, the landscape has changed so dramatically in some cases.
4: It, it it has and, and i remember 30 years ago when republicans were in the minority you could still be an effective legislator as a republican by working across the aisle and so you know this is an example of you know good bipartisan uh, lawmaking and, and i will say you know that the, the mental health issues you know 5 10 years ago you couldn't do this because there were some people that were even afraid mm to acknowledge uh, some of the mental health issues. And it's obviously something that I know a lot about because my spouse happens to be in the, in the field, but it's something that all Georgians are gonna benefit for what the legislature did. And we need to use this as an example uh, to address other issues as well by bringing people together.
1: All right, we gotta get to our final break of the show, back with more on Political Rewind in just a moment. I know this is an arguable statement to make, but but I also think there's some truth in it. I think aside from people's church, synagogue, or mosque, the most sacred institution in the state of Georgia is University of Georgia football. Um, And with what's been happening there, Leroy Chapman, uh, in terms of these awful uh, uh, deaths in the uh, horrendous accident, what we're learning about the fact there was street racing involved, that the people who were in the cars, were drunk. Um, I think it's been tremendously courageous of the AJC to take these issues head-on, knowing that you were going to get pushback in some cases from people who not only loved George football, but thought that perhaps by revealing some truths about the people involved in the accidents, you were treating their memories uh, in, in, in an uh, uh, unfair way. Uh, but it's been a remarkable... investigation on your part. Uh, Let's talk about it a little bit. And let me read one uh, uh, paragraph from a Mark Bradley column yesterday about this very thing. Bradley wrote, Georgia is the king of college football. That doesn't make Georgia the king of the world. Hours after he felt the adoration of his constituency, and I uh, just lost the the rest of it. Let me come back. I'm sorry. Hours after he felt the adoration of his constituency and Sanford Stadium. Kirby Smart was informed that a player and a staffer were dead. Only now are we getting a full picture of what happened. It would be nice to hear Smart tell us in unscripted words what he plans to do to keep such a thing from happening again. But it's larger than Kirby Smart. It's a reflection of the entire program. Leroy?
2: Yes, uh, you know, this has been an incredibly difficult story. And just personally, I have children that age, uh, one of whom is a, a University of Georgia alumnus. And so I. this is a parent's worst nightmare. So um, it, it is a delicate story. And we've tried to be there, and I think we have been, to celebrate their memories uh, and to be respectful of the folks who, who love uh, all who are involved. Uh, but when this happened, uh, there were some serious questions that needed answers. Uh, because you know at its at its core we had a public school employee uh dead Uh, we had another public school employee injured Uh, we had a student of a public school dead and we had another who was injured in a car that was rented by by that public school and so there's no way that you don't uh, try to pull apart and find out how the four got in that car uh, the circumstances around what preceded preceded this and how it happened, and then you have to rewind to go to that day to figure out the decision making that got them there. So that gets to the employees who have a responsibility here, the children, children, students uh, who need to be uh, protected, and um, and also to um, we have to know this in order to to make sure something like this doesn't happen again. So probing into this and pulling it apart. Uh, I know there are many who thought that uh, the timing was bad and that uh, we would there would be some uncomfortable truths that perhaps might come out of this. But but that's part of getting us to where uh, I think we need to be, which is to make sure that something of this order doesn't happen again. Uh, So we have to understand how this one happened.
1: Mary Margaret, uh, uh, Kirby Smart makes eleven and a half million dollars a year as a state of Georgia employee at the University of Georgia. And I wonder if you believe there's a role for the legislature at all to be looking into uh, aspects of this, which I think include how the football program has played a role in acting as an intermediary between uh, law enforcement and some of these players involved in this incident. What's your take on whether the legislature should be looking at this in any way?
0: Well, as you as you know, this eleven million dollars doesn't for Kirby Smart doesn't come from the taxpayers. It comes from the Georgia Sports right. Foundation. So there's an, a there's a an entity, a private entity that has enormous money and enormous power and has done, if you look at the success of their football program and their other athletic programs, their SEC champion um equitation team for instance, gymnastics teams, all these are these are successful nationally ranked programs. But the tragedy of this story, the destruction of lives, permanently destruction of lives, if not ending of lives, is so horrific that the leadership, Sunny Purdue, Kirby, Smart, And the president of Georgia, I think, should make some kind of statement about how their leadership is going to focus on this issue of irresponsible drinking. And to what extent the uh, adults, the paid adults from either the taxpayers or the private foundation, uh, are, are missing some opportunities of leadership that can result in this horrific tragedy is something that should be discussed. The legislature uh, is very, very quiet, as is all the leadership of the Dog Nation, and I think we need at least to recognize that this is a tragedy that reflects on, in some ways, um, a gap of leadership or a gap of focus that we need to have for these very young people who put their lives at risk any time they drink, get in a car, and certainly if they're going to go 100 miles an hour.
3: King? Uh, I think it's important that we understand the role of, of sports have, and I really appreciate what Leroy has done with that one. I do think for UGA, though, coming off a second national championship and the renewed spotlight on this program, what Kirby Smart says and does next is going to dictate maybe the next three or four years of coverage about that program. And to Miss Oliver's point, um, it's really going to take a, a show of leadership from the state level, from the chancellor all the way down on how does the university crack down on both drinking and Irresponsible behavior. And so if I am UGA, I'm very cautious on how I present myself now because there's a lot of money coming in. There's a lot of changes to the SEC at large. And so this is going to be a pivotal moment on how they respond to a tragedy.
1: Eric, I think that these points are really worth uh uh, uh, emphasizing before we run out of time. We've heard very little from the president of the, of the university. We've heard nothing from the chancellor, Sonny Perdue, and only uh, brief remarks, written remarks from Kirby smart himself. It, do you agree with Mary Margaret that we need more?
4: Well, I think King made a very good point in that, you know, whatever is said right now is going to have an impact on the future. And so this has to be done in a very thoughtful and deliberative way. And I have to imagine that that is all being thought of. And I know this is a serious topic and I don't mean to make a joke of this, but I do know that chancellor Purdue, uh, respects Mary Margaret Oliver. And so I would imagine that if she feels strongly about something, he's, he's listening. Um, and, but I, but I have to, uh, I have to think that, you know, there's a lot going on behind the scenes right now and, and we'll, we'll hear more soon.
1: All right. Um, thank you for that. We'll see how things develop in this story. And again, Leroy, um, I, I want to commend the AJC for pursuing this, um, um, despite the fact that it is a very difficult story, uh, to cover. Um, We're just about out of time for today's show, but I've really appreciated the conversation uh, with uh, King Williams, with Leroy Chapman, Eric Tannenblatt, and uh, Representative Mary Margaret Oliver. Thank you so much for joining us today. Monday is crossover today, so we'll be talking a lot about what's still on the calendar that could come to a vote on um, Monday on our show then. In the meantime, I hope you have a great weekend out there. The weather's supposed to clear up across the state. My thanks to Victoria Evans Cash, uh, to uh, uh, Natalie Mendenhall, to Chase McGee and Jay Cook for the wonderful work they do, as always, on Political Rewind. Thanks for being with us. See you all on Monday, everybody. Take care.